So we're going to change up the format a little bit this night compared to how we've gone through the different uh, sessions on the spiritual gifts so far. Uh, we're going to ask one young brother to come up and open up uh, reading the first 12 verses of chapter 12 in Romans. Uh, and then we have a number that are all taking on the task of sharing in opening up this passage this evening. And so we're going to have uh, six or seven of us that are going to go through each of the gifts individually and be able to kind of tag team this and be able to kind of present and see the body working together practically and digging into the word of God together to open this up. So um, uh, without further ado, Mr. Maddox, would you come and... Uh, read the scriptures for us this evening. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you sh present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may, be, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. For I say through grace given to me for, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. But as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts different according to, uh, to the grace that is given us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy into proportion per to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, and he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with, cheer with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly, affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patiently in tribulation, con continuing steadfastly in prayer. Amen. Amen. Uh, Father, thank you for the hearing of your word. Now I pray that you can help us all uh, as a body, everybody within the sound of my voice, that we would all be able to diligently uh, have our hearts and minds and ears opened to not just hear it, but to also understand it, so that way we can grow and be edified and built up as you desire for your body. Please, amen. A couple of introductory thoughts that are from this passage in Romans chapter 12. Um, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Uh, in light of what we just read in the previous passage, uh, Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, it really is talking about how salvation has come to the Gentiles. In light of the fact that we are now partakers of salvation, Therefore, I beseech you, brothers, by the mercy of God, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice. 
Um, there is one sacrifice, once for all time, that was made to bring us into his body. That's the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. By his sacrifice, we no longer are unto death, but we are unto life. And our sacrifice that we offer is not sacrificing ourselves unto death. It's living our lives. But as this passage opens up to us, it's not just about us living our lives, but it's about not hindering him who is living in us and through us. It's living our lives unto him. That's the sacrifice now. It's a sacrifice of life because we have been granted life. It's no longer I who lives but Christ who lives in me and who lives in all of you. Uh, in light of the fact that we now are partakers of salvation, we offer ourselves a living sacrifice. It says, which is your reasonable service. In other words, it only makes sense. In light of what he did for us, it only makes sense that we now live our lives unto him. And sometimes when we exercise our gifts, it may feel a bit like a sacrifice because the flesh gets in and the flesh wants to hinder us. The flesh wants what it wants and the spirit wants what the spirit wants. And we know that there's that battle that's in there. Now, the thing about a living sacrifice is a living sacrifice sometimes wants to crawl off the altar. That's the difficulty. But it has an answer to that in this passage. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove, you may audit, you may know, and may be able to test what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So in light of salvation, you live your life unto him, but it's, I mean, it only makes sense. And then it says, don't be conformed to this world. Don't resemble the world any longer. Don't resemble the world that we live in. But it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's important that we understand this. This is a bit of a hobby horse in this verse because we oftentimes we read this where it talks about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. We have the idea that the verb in this passage is renewing. And that's not the case. If you do a bit of digging in this passage when it says be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the, you put the word the in there, it's no longer an action, it's no longer a verb, it's now a noun. Person, place, thing, or idea. So when it says be transformed by the renewing of your mind, it's talking about a specific event that took place. The renewing, that's talking about having that transformed mind that is given to you the day that you become saved. You now have a new body, not a new body, you now have a new spirit, you have a new mind. This body of flesh still gets in the way, but you are a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. And that happens the moment of salvation. So when it says be transformed by the renewing of your mind, it's not saying you got to fight for this renewal day by day in that sense. The real battle comes to being transformed. And I think this is really important that we get this in the context of spiritual gifts, because the idea of being transformed, again, if you dig in a little bit deeper into the scriptures, being transformed that's the verb. And being transformed as a verb, it's also an imperative. Be, it's a command, be transformed. But not only is it saying be transformed, it's an imperative, but it's also the word transformed, it's actually a passive thing. It's not something that you are doing, it's something that is being done to you. So this really opens up the background is the same way you came to know him, 
is the same way that you walk in him. It opens the, the groundwork here for not only um, how you came to him is how you continue in him, but it really comes down to the, the, the background of that battle of the flesh against the spirit. Don't hinder the spirit as the spirit's actively working these things in you. Why is that important in the context of spiritual gifts? Because the moment that you get saved is when God implants these things, these things in you. Nathan gave a great analogy talking about these things earlier. You take a fantastic hockey player, best hockey player in the league, when they're a newborn baby, you wouldn't be able to tell that they have that talent, would you? But it's there, it's there from birth. There's things that need to happen to nurture it, grow it, develop it, but it's there from birth. And so in the context of living your life unto God, being transformed by the renewing that takes place the moment that you're saved, these gifts are implanted in you. And that's where this thing starts. I think it's important that we grasp this because that leads into the next part of this that opens up into the idea of spiritual gifts. And that's the idea of ultimately of one that needs to be brought up of humility. I think it's really important if we're gonna talk about spiritual gifts that we understand in the context also of humility. If God is the one who implanted the gift, it's about the giver and not the gift. I said it properly this time. Um, last time I was up here, I tripped on my tongue and kept on getting it in reverse. It's about the giver and not the gift. Just as much as it's by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man boast, it's the exact same in this. When it comes to the spiritual gifts, it's not something that we can be proud about or we can, it's something that God gave us. And so are we faithfully using it for him the way he intended? There's no elevated status. We have this idea that the guy who gets behind the microphone has somehow has got some elevated status in the gifts that he's given compared to the people that are actively serving behind the scenes that probably do 10 times the amount of work, by the way. So we have to have this understanding of humility when it comes to spiritual gifts. There's no one gift that's better than another. There's no one gift that's greater than another. We, in our folly as people, we give greater uh, importance or greater um, encouragement or, or a greater view, a higher view of certain gifts over others. That's not the way that God sees things. What really matters is not have you done enough, but did you do what the Lord asked you to do? Did you use what God gave you and did you use it faithfully in the way that God would have you use it? And at the end of the day, what matters most is does he come and say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant? That's what matters most. So when we read this and it says, for I say through the grace given to me, to everyone that is among you, not to think of yourself more highly than he ought to think, but think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For we as many members of one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts then differing according to the grace that is given us, let us use them. So it's God who implants it. We get no glory, he gets it all. It's not about us striving to be transformed, 
but it's about allowing the Spirit to do its work and transforming us and not standing in the way of God as God's working in our lives. For him who began the work will see it through to completion. And it's about this idea of humility. He put the gift in us, so it's not a matter of who gets the glory, because we know ultimately he gets the glory, but it's a question ultimately of not one gift being better or greater than another, but are you using what God gave you so that he can get greater glory? Has to be in terms of humility here. Because not one single one of us in this room could be able to function as a believer apart from the rest of us in this room. We could not. Not one of us could be able to function in a healthy way spiritually apart from everybody else that's in the room. We all need one another and God gave us these gifts so that each one of us could be able to feed and build up each other. We all have a role to play. I, I liken it to the analogy that we read in scripture where um, Jesus said, don't rejoice that you can do all these miracles. Rejoice that your name is in the Lamb's book of life. Rejoice and praise God you've been given an opportunity and ask him to help you be more faithful with it. And that's the sum total as long as he gets the glory. And that's how we deal with maturity, deal with this in maturity. One of the flaws that I see oftentimes in um, people trying to exercise spiritual gifts, for example, uh, is what I like to call gift projection. Oftentimes we see people that are like us that have the same gift that we are, and we could look at other gifts that are meant to be complementary in a light that's actually seeing them in opposition. And there's a pride thing that gets in the way and that causes disunity when the whole reason why God gives us these things is to create greater unity. So you would take somebody, for example, who's really pastoral, who sees that within the local assembly, there's some people that are hurting that really do need some comfort. They need some mercy. And they could look at the individual who's really evangelistic, who's really bold for their faith, and like, what are you doing out there? Don't you know there's people in your own home assembly that need your help? And the person who's out there evangelizing out on the street corner can look at the guy who's pastoral and be able to turn around and say, why are you doing all that stuff and focusing just inwardly? Don't you know there's lost out there we gotta reach? And rather than seeing them as complimentary, their pride gets in the way and they're seeing each other at odds with each other than seeing that they're necessary to build greater unity within the body. It's just one example that I've witnessed. Everybody has a job, given the time, the, a gift. Everybody's got a gift that they're given when they get saved. And are we actively using that faithfully for the Lord so that he gets all the glory? No pride. There's no room for pride. Pride gets in the way. We start elevating some gifts over other gifts. And then we can, that's where the fracturing comes, which is the exact opposite of God's design for why these gifts are given. To build up the body. To see the body grow and thrive and be healthy so that he can continue to do his work in us and through us. So we go through this list and the first one that we see in here is having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. So about a month back, we went through and we talked in detail about the gift of the prophet to the church, the role of the prophet to the church. 
So I'm going to just very, very, very quickly summarize what that is and how that looks. And the key example that I gave that evening, when you look at the role of the prophet, the role of the prophet throughout the entirety of scripture ultimately can be classified as what does the spirit say to God's people? What is the spirit saying to God's people? There's something of a special insight in the spirit that God has given them that they're able to see and understand They're able to somehow, God speaks to them in a specific way that they're able to know this is what the church really needs to hear at this exact moment. We've seen it happen in our midst many times without people realizing that it actually was happening. Where somebody who's supposed to be speaking on a Sunday morning or on a Sunday evening, as they're walking from the back of the room to the pulpit, you can see it in their eyes, you can sense it in the spirit, God is pulling an audible on that individual right then and there and saying, no, 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 I know that this is what you had prepared, but this is the message that I have for my people this morning. That is something of the role of the prophet operating in our midst, where God is speaking through a person to tell us things that we need to hear. The role of the prophet in the Old Testament was not to see the future, but was to hear from God and minister to people. And the same way that the role of the priest was to minister to God on behalf of the people of Israel, the people of Israel would bring their sacrifices and the priests would minister that to the Lord. The prophet would be in reverse, would take of the Lord and minister it to the people and speak on behalf of God to the people. So the role of the prophet when it's operating in our midst, just to shorten it up as to how we how we brought it out, how we talked about it a month ago, would really be the guy who is the messenger of God, who has a word from the Lord to deliver to God's people because God's people need to hear it. It's really simplifying it in a really big way. I get that. Some might think that I'm oversimplifying it. I don't want to belabor it and go through it in too much detail and stuff because there's other brothers who've prepared for tonight. But So now what does that look like? What does that look like when it's operating? When God has something to say and he picks a man and says, this is what I want you to say to my people this morning, the end result is people are being built up. People are hearing what they need to hear, whether it's correction, whether it's encouragement, whatever it may be. It's a method by which we are able to hear God speak to us. Oftentimes it's because We're unclear. We might not be mature enough to really sense or discern when it's the Lord. Or sometimes it's just confirmation. The Lord has spoken to us directly in our hearts already, but the Lord sees fit to give somebody the right words at the right time to speak to all of us to confirm what we've already sensed that the Lord is saying already. So, all with humility. All with humility. Um... The next one that we have on this list says, if it's prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or if it's ministry, let us use it in our ministering. I don't remember who that one is. You're going to go last. Okay. Okay. So I believe that you are next.
So the next one on list, verse seven, or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I always found the thought of someone doing a teaching on teaching rather ironic, to say the least. To start this off, I want to take a look in Acts, specifically zooming in on Paul. Now, I'm not going to go through all of the verses. There's one verse in particular that I want to look at, but I'd like to call to your attention just the overall happenings of what goes on in the book of Acts with Paul and his group of people, his crew, where they move around from city to city and they teach and preach the word of God in these different cities. And what happens in these cities is by teaching the word of God, salvation comes. These people understand. That's the first thing that we need to understand about teaching is it's a proclaiming, it's a showing and revealing of God's word. I want to focus in specifically on Acts chapter 20, uh, verse 20. Actually, I'll start from a little earlier. Um, I'll start in verse 18. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you know from the first day that I came to Asia and what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility and many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house. Notice the contrast that is brought forward here, how he held back nothing that was helpful but rather he taught it to them. So the operating definition of teaching that we have here is a making clear. <laughs> By teaching the word of God, he is making clear what the word of God is saying. And like it was mentioned um, last time we had Sunday evening thing, I believe, the purpose of these gifts is for the building up of the church, whether that is evangelism or within the body. So in teaching the word of God, they are opening the Bible and they are making clear what it actually is saying. It's not all that different. The biblical definition of teaching is not actually all that different from the modern definition the, that we use of teaching. It's bringing forward this information and presenting it in a manner that is clear and easily understood by those who are being taught. Now, I do want to make one thing clear about what teaching isn't, and that is, it, by having the gift of teaching does not mean that you have a greater understanding of the Bible. Just because you can teach it well does not mean you understand it better than others. That has to do with discernment, which is something completely different. Now, that is not to say that someone who has discernment cannot also have the gift of teaching. But they are not necessarily inseparable. This is... 
I think one of the clearest verses that we can really see this in. It's Hebrews, um, hold on, chapter five, verse 12. It says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. You have come to need milk and not solid food. So the Hebrews, the people who are being written to in the book of Hebrews are being told that you should be able to teach these things, but you can't, you don't have the discernment. So you still need a measure of discernment to be able to teach. Clearly you do need to be able to understand what you are teaching before you're able to teach it. One final aspect that I would like to really bring up is I really appreciate it. It actually makes this a little more difficult to understand. I'm gonna be honest. I, Matthew 28, I want to go through verses 19 and 20. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So what we are seeing here is that we are all to teach. But we don't always but we do not all have the gift of teaching, do we? I want to draw this line, this distinction here. That yes, we are all to teach to some degree. But James also says, in James chapter 3, it says that we should not all become teachers. I want to draw a line between teaching and teachers. Yes, we are all to teach. And in the context of Matthew, it's teaching disciples. Bring people along and showing them what God's word says. But that is different from the spiritual gift and the office of a teacher. In that passage in Romans that we read, it says that if we have that gift, then let's read it. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Our ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. So if you have that gift of teaching, then you ought to be a teacher. One who teaches. We are all to teach, but we are not all teachers. In the same manner that we are all to evangelize, but we do not all have the office of an evangelist. Calling back I really don't like these moments, whether I should call you dad or Aaron. Brother. Brother, that works. That's even weirder. <laughs> to bring back the exa uh, example that dad brought up of evangelist. We are all to evangelize, but we do not all have the office of evangelist. In the same way with teaching, we are all to teach, but we do not all have the office of a teacher.
We do not all have the gift of teaching. But in a way, we are all called to make God's word clear. The difference between someone who teaches and the teacher or the one who has the spiritual gift of teaching is that the one who has that spiritual gift has an extra measure of grace granted to him to be able to proclaim God's word, to be able to reveal it and make it clear more so than the one who doesn't. That's all I have. The next one is exhortation, I do believe, if I'm reading this list correctly. Can you still? I don't know if you want to record it, but... Uh... Okay. <clears throat> yeah, so I got... I got exhortation. Yeah, that's fine. What a gift, eh? Um, studying this, studying this gift, it, it was a treat. And uh, I guess very challenging. And I'm sure that, uh, I hope, anyways, it's going to challenge all of us. And... It's interesting what uh, Xander said. You know, we're not, we're not all evangelists, we're not all teachers, but yet we're still, we all teach and called to evangelize. And, and I'm going to kind of touch on that. So, so he who exhorts in exhortation. So he who exhorts in exhortation. Okay, so as I'm, as I'm just explaining, I guess just defining exhortation, Think of an illustration in your life. I want this to be practical, right? So think of an illustration in your life where you have either helped someone in this way or someone has demonstrated this toward you. So exhorting to define it, to strongly encourage or urge someone to do something. To strongly encourage or urge someone to do something. That's... That's straight out of the dictionary, off the internet, whatever you want to get. So to get a little bit deeper, when I started going back to the original words in the, uh, well, I guess Greek, some of them be Hebrew, I can't really define. I'm going to kind of butcher these, but what I, just how I pronounce them, but uh, they're really similar in meaning. So it's uh, four words that... Uh, Exhorting went back to his paracaleo, paraenio, para or protrep, and paraclesius. They're all very similar in meaning, and the idea is this. So you can break it down into two words. So I was thinking about Tom today when I was thinking about how to break it down. So para is the idea of to, to call to someone, right? So if uh, once this is all over and I see Tom, Tom's on my mind, and, and I just say, hey, Tom, can I just talk to you for a minute, right? So this is, this is the idea of exhorting. I'm calling over to Tom, and the next thing I would do is probably walk over to him so we're not shouting at each other, right? So para is to, to call to someone, to come alongside someone, to be in the company of. 
And the last part is where it kind of differs, okay? So exhorting is to come alongside of someone. This gift is, this gift, guys, is, uh, it is crucial from what I see in, in the body life, okay? Just, just hear me out here. So pair, I'm coming close to Tom. I have something that I want to talk to him about, and it can vary from things like to encourage Tom. Maybe I see him down a little bit, right? It can be, I come alongside of him to comfort him. I come alongside of him. I see something that's maybe, I'm sorry, Tom. I just know that you'll be good to. I see something to maybe direct him in or maybe redirect him in a situation. Or maybe it's even admonish or warn. If you can see this, this is crucial in the life of this body, right? Personally, one-on-one, this is happening. I see it all the time. Uh, within this assembly. So that's the idea to exhort, exhort someone. I guess we could even break it down to the idea of we have, I was thinking about this just personally, and as we spend time with the Lord, he exhorts us, doesn't he? He can comfort us through his scriptures. He leads us through his scriptures. He'll encourage us, encourage us. He'll also warn us, won't he? Um, where else is this practical in our life? Well, our family. We can exhort our, our, uh, our spouses. We can exhort our children. <clears throat> and as I said too, we can... Uh, I, I, I see it as, I, I just see it as being, it was just a real call to me. It's, it's, it's crucial because that, that's just life in, in the body. Like, I care for Aaron and I see, I, I see Aaron needs some encouragement. So I approach him. Aaron cares for me. I, I see this as a gift that this is, this is him working through, through all of us. I understand that there's differing gifts, but man, to, in Corinthians, Paul calls us to desire certain gifts. This, this, is, this, is, this is huge. We, we care about each other. We love each other. We want, us, we want each other to do well, right? Some examples that I've seen through the Word of God. <clears throat> um, I guess when you think of an, a brother that, uh, brother or sister, I guess, when we look at the New Testament and we think of exhorting and an encourager, who would be the person that comes to mind? Barnabas, right? It's, it's kind of an easy one. But uh, Acts 4.36, he's, he's even called the son of encouragement. Um, Acts 11.23, he comes alongside a group of believers, encourages them to continue in the Lord. That's encouraging. It's to basically come alongside. That's exhorting. To come alongside, that's one form, and encourage them to keep going. To keep going. I think about Paul, how he did his missionary journeys, and uh, 
in his missionary journeys, he would even have little circles. He would go back and he would just, he would teach, he would exhort, he would comfort. I think of even Paul being exhorted by the uh, Ephesian elders when he called for them when he was on his way to his final destination and you know they they wept on him they they would comfort him they encouraged him again Paul gets exhorted this is a little different it's it's kind of tailing into actually there's one example that I that I was just kind of fascinated at I'll share that with you so in Acts chapter 8 I see an exhortation in this. I hope you do as well. Acts chapter 8, it's the story of Philip. Just read a few verses. We'll start at 28. Actually, seeing a bunch of gifts demonstrated through this one scene. So 28. And sitting in in his chariot, that's a eunuch, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, Well, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. And if you go over to 36, it carries on, it says, Now as they went down the road, they came to some water, And the eunuch said, see, here is water. Actually, just in in 35, it even says, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? I see encouragement here. Then Philip said, you know, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. It's amazing to me the gifts overlapping through one person. I mean, this is just the Spirit of God working through, working through His children. You see an evangelist there, you see a teacher, you see a preacher, and you see exhortation. Just keep going. I hope I'm not stretching that too much. Maybe I am, but... Anyways, we get into... I thought I'd just tail into some of the things that... uh, Some of the exhorting that... I see through Christ. Um, Even in Acts, this is when Christ is ascended, but uh, Paul, maybe I'll just, I'll just maybe leave that out just to keep going, but um, some examples, I won't turn to them. I guess I'm just trying to open, open the can, just kind of unpack this a little bit. I would encourage you to, and I, I guess I would exhort you to look into this gift, I just see it to be so key. But think about the Lord Jesus. You know, he's, he's, he's given his life. Think of the people that followed him. Think of how he approached the men and the women after he was raised from the dead. They, think of the state that they were in. Think of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, or at Lazarus' funeral. Think of the comfort there. I just thought of Christ appearing to the seven disciples after he was raised. He, he calls to them. And to Peter, he says, even, you know, he exhorts Peter. He, he directs him. And I just think, too, of 
how the Lord Jesus sends his spirit. He sends the comforter to us. He says, I will be with you even till the end, the end of the age. I just, I hope some of this or all of it just sticks with it. I just, uh, I was amazed at um, the opportunities that we have to exhort one another in a loving way because we care for one another. And like I said before, it's just crucial, I believe anyways, I see crucial for, for body life and the sustaining of the body life. And I see it. I see it already. We all see this. You know, Hebrews 3.13 says, what does he say? Exhort one another. Exhort one another. He wants to exercise these gifts through us, and he's glorified by doing so. I had some other things to share, but I think that's a good start. Um, I hope so, anyways. Just uh, let it be a blessing, anyways. So, thank you. Okay, so we're going to skip down to um, the last gift that's mentioned there in verse 8. Um, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Or he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So um, mercy, um, if you look it up, it's this idea to, to help the afflicted or those who are seeking aid. Uh, it's this idea of having a heart of compassion, the, the heart of, of God, um, having pity on, on the afflicted or the disadvantaged. Um, it is not just a merely um, natural empathy. It's not just natural um, compassion. Rather, it's this overwhelming compassion that comes from the Holy Spirit. And so people who have this, um, this gift, and again, I just want to echo as well that uh, what has been said already, that uh, um, yes, there are those who are gifted this way, but it is not just limited to those who have this gift to show acts of mercy. Um, so anyways, people who have this gift, they are often the ones who are present in times of need. Um, when there's a hardship, they are the ones who, they're good at ministering to those, those people, to those that need, um, that are going through a tough time. Um, people who have this gift are ones who are able to uh, look and identify even early on um, where these needs are 
and uh, then they're able to come alongside and, and even to rally uh, assistance where, where it's needed. Um, the, the, um, whether, yeah, whether it's physically or mentally or even emotionally, um, they're able to come alongside and give support, give help. And it's through this supernatural grace, um, as we saw in verse 6, it's according to the grace given to us. And that's the key here, this supernatural grace, that um, that grace is what enables them to be able to sit with, to, to walk with somebody that is, is hurting. Um, it... Um, yeah, it, it can be a very long period of time, and that can be very draining, and that's only possible by that supernatural grace. Um, it goes on to include this, with cheerfulness. And, um, you know, it might seem kind of strange to say that you should be cheerful when you... Um, when you're showing mercy to others, especially if you think about some of the situations that you might, um, you you might need to be showing mercy, um, you, you need to come with the right spirit. And uh, and what it, what it's saying here, though, what that word means, cheerfulness, it's it's this idea that they are are ready to go. They're they're joyous at the occasion, the opportunity, like. They, they see the opportunity to show mercy, and they are the ones first to go at it. And not because, um, you know, they, they get so thrilled to show mercy, but because they themselves see the need, how necessary it is um, for mercy. So, yeah, being cheerful about it. Um, it's this idea, again, of having readiness of mind, um, being prompt to do anything, and that's where you get cheerful. Um, and so um, that is what, again, that, that grace, that, that's what enables you to, to be cheerful in it, to um, allow you to serve over the long haul. Um, like I said, it, it can be... Um, long periods of time that you're walking through things with people and um, that can be very overwhelming but it's that grace that enables a person to not get overwhelmed by it um, you know sometimes I think if we're honest there, there can be a tendency to be be frustrated um, to get irritated with with people um, with people who need to receive that mercy right we can we can be like like come on like let's get over this like it's been so long you know and why are you still struggling with this let's go but it's that supernatural grace that enables you to stick with them um to walk with them through that long haul. Um, as well, it can be very easy to allow the, um, the burdens of others 
to weigh you down personally. Um, but again, it's that supernatural grace that enables you to bear it uh, with them, to bear other people's burdens without it affecting um, you to the point where you can't function. Um, Courtney and I were talking about how with, with our jobs as a nurse and, and a teacher, um, you know, often you are, you're pouring yourself into people all day and um, you're carrying their burdens and, and it can be very overwhelming, so much so that you come home at the end of the day and you've got nothing left. And it's really not fair to, to the people that you love. Um, and the idea is that it's only by that grace, only by the uh, enabling of the Holy Spirit for you to be able to um, help bear that burden without being overwhelmed yourself. Um, Essentially what Paul is saying here is that if you're showing mercy to someone, don't let yourself get irritated with them or depressed by, by them. You know, keep, keep smiling. Be cheerful. Um, I'll just look at one, one example here in Scripture. You can turn to Acts 9. In our Bible study, this was way back in the fall that we talked about this. So um, Acts 9, uh, looking from verse 36, there's this woman named Dorcas. And um, I'll just read to you the, the description of her. It says, there was, Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. Now listen to this. She was full of good works and acts of charity. Full of good works and acts of charity or charitable deeds, which she did. What a description of that woman. Um, she, she's an example, a, a very good example of, of this gift, and I, I would suggest... Um, other gifts as well. Um, but you, you read on here what, what happened. She, she had passed away, and, um, and the, the Christians were, were so um, upset. They were just distraught. Um, she meant a lot to them, to that church. Um, she, she had made clothes. She, she was a seamstress. It seems to be that uh, she was a seamstress, and so she made clothes for the believers. And, um, and so when she died, the people were weeping, and they, they called for Peter to come, and uh, Peter was able to raise her from the dead uh, by the power of God. But uh, notice who it was that is listed there as, as weeping. You go to verse um, verse 39. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. 
All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. It's the widows. You know, if there was ever a group of people that needed mercy, it's the widows. And you, you can picture this. They're coming weeping and they're, they're showing these garments that she's made for them. You know, these widows who, you know, they, they've lost their husbands. They're grieving that. And now they are totally reliant on the people of God to support them. And this is who Dorcas was, was using her, her natural ability, her talents as, as, a, as a seamstress, along with her, her spiritual gift. She recognized the need there, and she met that need by providing for their, their physical needs, giving them clothing. Right? And you see how much that meant to them. They would be weeping and showing them the garments that that uh, she had made. Um, yeah, it just, it just goes to show how vital, how, how crucial this, this gifting is um, to the body of Christ. Those who are moved with compassion, moved by the Holy Spirit, they are the hands of Christ's body reaching out to touch our wounds. I'll uh, stop there. How well? Um, yeah, I hope that uh, by grace I can be used to make this clear, as Sandra said. Um, giving, I look around, I see a lot of adults who most likely went to kindergarten, so I don't think I have to explain what that means. We all know what giving is. You have something and they don't, and you give it to them. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so as you look through the Bible, there's... Tons and tons and tons of examples. It's a very common thing um, among people who are uh, friends with God. It's, it seems very natural. See um, Abraham uh, tithing to Melchizedek or letting Lot have the first cho choice when uh, they come to new land. Um, see David uh, going out and searching for people to help give things to um, among Jonathan's line, uh, finding Mephibosheth, and um, saying, I will not give to God that which cost me nothing at the end of Second Samuel 24. Um, yeah, Naaman the leper and Zacchaeus, immediately upon receiving God, the first instinct is to go, and they want to go and give. They want to share what they have and give it back, but, well, I mean, it's very easy to think of all these people. These are all very, very rich people I've named so far. David is a king. Abraham is listed as a very wealthy man. But it's not just them either. We have the very famous story in Mark 12 of the widow who gives her two mites. 
Um, the boy in John 6 who gives his lunch that Jesus then uses and multiplies to turn into a massive meal to feed four or 5,000 people. I don't remember which story that is. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so it's very, very, very common. And um, as we see, it's something that's expected. It's, a, it's expected that Christians are to be giving people. Um, yeah, Luke 3.11 says, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Uh, Ephesians 4.28. Uh, let, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, that he may have something to give to him in need. So the purpose of this is, it's, it's, it's expected that they're giving to other people. Um, yeah, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, but God loves a cheerful giver. So it's expected, um, it's, it's expected as a Christian that you are someone who delights in giving, which uh, matches other gifts that have been said today. Um, Xander said, we're all expected to teach others when we have knowledge that they don't. Um, but we're not all meant to be teachers. Um, see, gift of exhortation, which has an array of definitions, but one of them which is um, comforting. To be a comforting per person is one of the many definitions of the word exhortation. And as you see, James uh, famously says, Pure and undefiled religion before God is this, to visit the orphans and widows to, with their trouble, to comfort them. Evangelism, we all know, the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. So these are all spiritual gifts, but they're all also things that we're all expected to do, at least in some way. So the question then becomes, what defines it as a gift? What, what, what separates the one who has the gift from everybody else who's also supposed to be doing it. Well, I teased it, but I cut, I, 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 own, I, I cropped the verse so that I didn't give a sneak peek at the ending, but uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, so let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart, give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver, so it's something you want to be doing. And they have a, greater desire, they, 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 they have a greater vision for it. Um, yeah, similar to other things, the other gifts, it's not, it's not, it's not the job of the giver, say, to, to do all of the giving for the whole church, it's just, oh, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not gifted in giving, I don't, I don't have to do with any of that, but it's their, it's their job to lead and um, guide the rest of the church in that, just as the job of the evangelist to lead and guide the church in evangelism, so on and so forth throughout the various other examples. I'm done, bye. See you. Well, I'm really encouraged just to hear everyone take a part 
and have a different uh, perspective, and they just really give us insights, and I've been thoroughly enjoying each one who has done that. So um, what you don't, or maybe if you, you've already realized what we're doing is we're giving people opportunity to serve and to exercise. Aaron's talked about um, our gifts, and um, when we exercise them, we get stronger at it. And so part of the purpose is to do this, is to allow us to do that, but it really opens up God's word and the intent of these gifts if we can um, just put them into practice. Before I get into the gift of serving, I um, just want to remind you, when we think of gifts, again, they're divine enablements given by God for the building up of the body, or in other words, the church. We get to use those gifts that he's given us here. We get to practice them, and we want to provide opportunities for that. As you discover how God has gifted you, Part of the purpose of the church is to allow that to function, and so we want to be able to do that. So at the end, just practically for the gift of serving, I want to give a little different twist, and I'll just identify a few of the different areas, but there's a danger in that where I don't want you to then run and gravitate towards those things and then say, I'm doing a task, and then I can feel comfortable and not exercising my gift in other areas. One other just thing I wanted to say too is, so as you are wondering, no doubt, some of you have asked me even, so what do you think my spiritual gift is? And I'm kind of getting off on a trail, but I'm going to come back. So what do you think my spiritual gift is? So I think we get excited when we receive gifts. And if we have a gift and we haven't unpackaged it yet, and we're kind of wondering, what does this look like? And how can I really function with this? Because I do want to, I'm eager. And so I want to be able to learn what that is if I don't know. And so I won't affirm you in that way. So just say, just hang on, we'll get there. But one of the things, just practically, that you can kind of tuck in the back of your mind that might help you to kind of feel where maybe you're gifted is, is there an area that I gravitate towards when I see a need? So when I see, like when Jeremy was talking about mercy, and there's different all the different gifts that we have covered and will cover, is there something that really warms my heart and it's something that I real, really feel drawn to? And it's not, and I think Nathan and Aaron have talked about talent, so we have natural talents. I'm not a musician, so you don't ever see me up here and it's not that I don't enjoy it, but I'm going to turn that over to somebody else. But what you might find in discovering your gift is I might gravitate towards having mercy on someone. I might really have a desire to teach. And I, I was really encouraged, Xander, by hearing you tonight. And I really see a gift developing in you. And it's really neat. And so each one who's taken part, and Simone, for putting you on the spot and saying, hey, I'm not really taking no for an answer, but I'm going to really encourage you and uh, thank you. That's exercising the gift. So having said that, the gift that I'm here to just share with you about is, is serving. And there's a few Greek definitions, and I don't study a lot of Greek, I'll say that right up front, but I did, there's, there's two definitions for serving in Greek, diconia, and that's to wait on tables. You might think of Acts 6, um, the ministry of the, um, I'll just leave it there. Um, the other one is in 
Antel, I, I had this, I, I could pronounce this before I get up here, antilepsis. I can tell I haven't studied that. And that's simply helping out, to be able to help others. And it's also a perception of an, to aid or to help someone. And I think that both of those definitions could actually help understand or unlock uh, serving. But I'm going to maybe gravitate towards more the second one. So if you've got your Bibles, it may seem like a bit of a sword drill, but one of the applications I want to do tonight is look at numbers of scriptures and just say, so where have we seen examples in scripture of people serving? And uh, we just heard about Dorcas and how that she had cared for widows and had people had really mourned at her passing. Um, she was one who demonstrated mercy, but was also a real servant at heart. Um, if you can bear with me, I've got my pages marked, but we're going to look first briefly at Acts 6 and verses 1 to 7, because it's kind of the first one that came to me. Acts 6 and verses 1 to 7. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Cretan Jews, along with them, complained against the Hebraic Jews because of their widows, but their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. So brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. And we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer in the ministry of the word. This isn't, none of the gifts, as we've mentioned before, have a, are rated in priority. And sometimes we can look, maybe it's at serving as maybe thinking it's lesser of important. When we think of the body, when the body is lacking, um, when a need isn't being met, um, the body suffers. So if I didn't have a hand, the whole body is going to be limited. So I think the whole body is a church. If the gift is not functioning, it's going to limit what the body can accomplish for God's sake, for the Lord's sake. <coughs> so here, the, the apostles, the disciples were needing, and this is where deacons were appointed and they were to wait on tables. They were to do some of the practical needs. And so when we think of serving, those are some of the hands and the feet. Those are some of the things that we can identify that help make the church function. That was one of the first examples here. I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians 16. I'm going to read verses 15 and 16. Even though I have them marked, that's not on the right page. Starting in verse 15, you know that the household of Stephanus was the first were the first converts in Achaia, and they were devoted, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Another example, it doesn't specifically say what the service was but they were devoting, them, devoting themselves to the service, to supporting, to carrying on supportive services that enabled the body to function. Um, that could have been um, 
acts of hospitality. It could have been meeting the needs of widows. It could have been uh, showing acts of mercy. I'm going to go to 2 Timothy 4.11. And Mark likes this word, this verse. but So Paul sent these instructions, verse 11. Only Luke is with me, but get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. So there are many different acts that we can do, or that we can fulfill in this ministry of serving. It's um, something that is, it's a supportive role. And it's one that you can see someone visibly, but it's equally as important to have supportive roles since people that are unseen and unrecognized at times that are just helping and enabling things to function well. And um, we need those very much here. Romans 6, 16, verses 1 and 2. You may have heard of this sister before, but her name is Phoebe, starting in verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant in the church in Centria. I ask you to receive from the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help that she may need from you. For she has been a great help to many people, including me. Keep your finger there and we'll go down to verse 12. Greet Tryphenia and Tryphosia, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. It doesn't specifically say what their work was, but again, supportive work in this local church and badly needed. Again, just an example of people who are sharing and using their gifts the Lord has given them. And again, we're reminded all the gifts are for the building of the body and not anything of themselves. I think, Aaron, you touched on in the beginning when gifts are done, when the gifts that we have are used in a fleshly way, they can be very destructive because they're looking to, they're self-seeking. And in any of these examples that we've referenced tonight, I don't see anyone that's looking for recognition, for self-glorification. They're always for the building of the body. Um. The Lord Jesus, I'm not going to ask you to turn there, but in Matthew 20, 28, Jesus said that he didn't come to be served, but to serve. That was his example. Did I say that wrong? Okay, the way you looked at me made me think. And I think maybe I said that in my mind right, but I said it wrong. It's and I'm, It's a convicting verse. But the Lord set an example for us to follow. So, again, just having said, we can, we can use any of the gifts that we have in a very selfish and very fleshly way. And um, if we seek to receive any recognition, um, I have to wonder the purpose and our motivation. I think, I think if, we, if we serve and we think, why didn't they notice, why didn't somebody notice, or why didn't someone affirm me on what I did? We're looking for something back. But if we're just giving... Um, I can see people who get discouraged where people just take for granted that I'm here and I'm just cleaning and I'm just doing things and people never see. I come during the week. And, I'm, and again, right up front, I've never heard anyone say that here. 
So I just want to say that if you've filled that role, please don't think that I'm overhearing anything. But those things were done strictly as an act of service and for building the body, which is just a gift to the Lord. But that's just a fleshly way. If we can say, if Daryl can say and Tom can say, I was up in that attic and no one will ever know until the inspector comes. But um, no one will ever know how I sweated up there. And, and I just think that's so gracious. I just see people willing to serve and do things without anything of themselves. And that's what that gift was intended to do. That's what all the gifts are intended to be used for. Because of time, and I'm just trying to narrow it down a little bit too from what I had. So practically, what are some of the ways that we could actually use this gift here? You might be wondering, so what if I have this gift? And uh, just a disclaimer too, I don't think that we are limited necessarily to one gift. Um, and also, if you would say, because I don't have the gift, I'm going to pick on Josh. Um, Josh is a gifted teacher and evangelist, and I see his heart. But that doesn't mean that Josh won't do some practical things here because it's not his gift. He could say, that's not my gift. That doesn't let him off the hook. I think Jeremy, was it Jeremy that said, we all have to serve in different areas? And so if you don't, don't feel comfortable in saying, because my gift is not to be in the nursery, I don't ever take a turn there. The Lord allows us to exercise things that may not be our natural, they may be a natural gift, but they may not be our spiritual gift, but he may allow us to still do things that wouldn't be our strong things. And I think even as each one of us gets up and shares, you might say, it's clearly not his gift to be doing this. And maybe you're saying that about me right now. But the Lord still calls us to be faithful to him and no matter what. And by exercising things, we may say, you know what? That's not really what I feel called to, but I'm willing to do that. And that's an attitude of serving. And I think each one of us can um, have a measure of that. So how might it be used in our midst? Um, I've just made a list of things, unlike what the other guys have done, and I really appreciate what they've done, but I've put a bit of a list together, and this isn't inclusive, and there'll be many things that aren't on here that might fit into this category of serving. How about hosting ladies' prayer? Or men's prayer? And then even maybe being open to lead it, maybe opening like at men's prayer, I'm not sure what the ladies do, but the men, often the person that hosts it at their home will have a short thought and will kind of just steer it a little bit. Um, would you be willing to do that? might be stretching, but stretching is good because it exercises our muscles. How about welcoming people here? That could be at the door, or it could be when you see someone come in, just gravitating towards them, and you might feel really uncomfortable doing that, but just do it. Make them feel comfortable. Make them feel welcome. How about helping getting the building ready? Some of you do that faithfully. And there's no guilt if, if your name's on those lists. I'm just giving examples, so please give me grace on that. There's many things I see sometimes as chairs are pretty crooked. And some of the young guys, this is just opportunities, and I really think it's an opportunity for 
for families to come and say, hey, I've got some kids, I'll come five minutes early and just make sure things are in order. And that's just another opportunity where you teach your children opportunities to serve. How about handing out songbooks or maybe helping make the new ones that we need to replace old ones? I've already mentioned childcare. Like back in, um, Serena and Bobby are serving us tonight. And um, even though they're not looking for recognition, if your kids are there, just thank them. It's just kind of neat to do. It's, a, it's just affirming what they're doing. There's opportunities with children's ministries, and that could be Sunday school, and you might say, well, I'm not really called to that. There's still things that you could maybe do there. Tent club is another thing, and that's just an opportunity to be involved with, whether you host it or whether you even teach a little bit there, maybe a little stretching. Another thing that's quite vital is prayer. Do we pray for one another? That's an opportunity of service that we can give back to the body. This morning, I'll just give you an example. I'm not wanting to, this is not glorification of anyone, but this morning, <coughs> Nate texted me and said, I'm not going to be able to lead children's singing this morning. Short notice, which is fine, that happens. So I texted Serena right away, and I said, would you be willing to lead the kids in singing? I got a response within two minutes, thrilled to. Thank you for asking. That's just an example when someone asks, would you be willing? And, and that's something that's really neat to see. Um, when you're asked to do something, and it's not just in the serving role, but if it's to be teaching, it's to be sharing, it's to be just a variety of things. Just to be willing to do that, it's really neat. It means that the Spirit of God is working within you because in ourself, probably wouldn't be inclined to do that. Corinne is doing, <laughs> I was, funny you're laughing because I just had your name next to my list, but Corinne is doing Sunday school setup. And something that for those of us that teach Sunday school is really neat when we get to our class, we've got all these buckets lined up and we've got the lessons there. And that's a real act of service that Corinne is doing that blesses our children. And again, just to emphasize, saying yes when we're asked to serve. Yeah, that's really neat. How about visiting the sick? Um, there are people that sometimes aren't able to be here, and uh, they would just love a visit or a phone call. Um, spring is coming, and soon our lawns are going to need to be mowed, and maybe you've got to mow, or maybe you have time that you could do that. This past winter, we've been doing work projects, and you know many of us have had opportunity to be involved with that. Camp is coming this summer. I know that some of you are really bent on that, and that's just an opportunity that that really gets you going. And like looking at Xander and and uh, Serena and uh, and Laura, like you're going to be at Circle Square. It isn't just these people that we're sending, but we can we can support them. We can. Say, how are you doing? Can I pray for you? What are the needs that you have? What's, do you need a ride there? Do you need to get dropped off? Do you need a place for the weekend to come to for respite? Um, 
I'm just being creative, thinking out of the box. So just, uh, it's not a checklist. Please don't see it as a checklist. So seeing a need and then doing it before you're asked. So you might say, there's nothing that I see around here. Just take liberty to look. And we'd love someone that has this gift. I think someone that has this gift, they see something and they say, I'll look after that. They don't have to be, it's not a list that you'll come to Tom and say, what do you need done? And you might. But just see a, a need. You might see that the parking lot needs to be swept. You might say, why is that blind not working? Just see a need and do it. And again, if, if this isn't your area of giftedness, don't feel that I'm laying heavy on you. It's just simply see a need. There's many people who serve here that aren't recognized and they're not looking for public recognition, but I just want to say some of these things are done and some of them are not done. So someone, just in closing, a couple of things that I think are really helpful in this area of serving. So someone who serves does it joyfully, and I think all of our gifts should be done with joy. If not, it's drudgery and we have to ask our motive if we're looking for something out of it ourselves, and we shouldn't be. So again, someone who serves should do it joyfully. It helps if you're available. And like in Isaiah 6.18, here am I, send me, just being willing. It's 20 to 8. 20 to 8. Do we have time for one more? We have one more if we have time for it. <laughs> no, not at all. All right. Romans chapter 12. And can I just say it's been a delight hearing from the different brothers and them sharing their hearts and sharing from the word. And uh, yeah, very happy to be just uh, next brother up here. Um, someone want to read verse 8, and then all of you who've been paying diligent attention can uh, tell me what gift we uh, have for our final one to look at tonight. Someone want to read? Hmm? Very good. He who, and how are we supposed to lead? All right, does anyone else have any other word in theirs? So we have Romans 12, verse 8. He who exhorts, Jeff talked about that. He who gives, Simon. He who shows mercy is the last part with Jeremy. And then the third one in this verse, he who leads is what I'm assuming your new King James says. Anyone have a different word in there in theirs? He that ruleth with diligence. Ruleth. Anyone got the other one? I looked across the translations. There you go. Governs, ruleth, or leads. Um, I'm a big fan of the third one just because in our contemporary English you hear the word ruleth or governs and you think authority and power. That's not necessarily what this is about. So um, just quick like to bring these thoughts from the evening together. Um, so let's do some true or false here. And if you aren't one to talk, true, false, okay? So true or false. Um, a spiritual gift is an office or position you'll hold in the church. Okay? 
That's going to be important for this one because um, we're going to be talking about this idea of leading. And um, it's important, like the, there's two offices in the church. There's the overseers or the elders leading she sheep that help us look to the shepherd, but they're leading sheep. And then we have deacons, which are leading servants. It's not that they're doing all the work, but they're helping to lead on that front and we can all jump in on it. Um, but it's very interesting that the qualifications or the criteria or the characteristics of these men is all their godly characters, not their gifts. So yes, should an elder be able to teach? Yeah, it says that in Titus. Um, it actually says that they'll be able to exhort and convince people who might be aberrant to get back on track. Whose kid is that? Oh, <laughs> sorry. Um, good night, James. Um, yeah, Kelly was just talking about a ministry of uh, needing a service ministry. I might be needing a ride home afterwards if someone wants to exercise that gift. But it doesn't say that elders are to be able to, or they're able to teach, not gifted to teach. And certainly they have a leading role amongst us, but it doesn't mean that they necessarily have this gift. There's not a, um, yeah, the characteristic of an elder is about their godly character. It's not like a man gets disqualified on day one that he's saved because he doesn't have a gift to become that thing. So we have to recognize that gifts are not the same as our position, our role, or the office. Um, true or false? Um, gifts are only given to those with a Y chromosome, men. False. All right, so while there are differences in terms of the roles that we play when we all come together, um, are there gifted teachers amongst the sisters? Get sisters who have the gift of teaching. Would there be sisters who have the gift of giving? Would there be sisters who have the gift of leading? Yes, and it's key to remember such things. Um, and lastly, I'll just say um, gifts, spiritual gifts are pretty much the same as natural talents. True or false? False. That's right. We're not looking for business leaders or organizational methods here. We're talking about spiritual um, leading. And so um, when we talk about leading, this is the spiritual gift, um, Jeff and a few others brought out some Greek, so I'll, I'll do it as well taken after your lead. Um, really easy, pro and stemi. Pro, especially when it's put at the beginning of the word, means before or in front of, and stemi just means to stand. The gift of leading is just to stand before, to preside over, to um, kind of take charge of. It's the supernatural ability, as far as I can tell as I look through scripture, to kind of see the big picture, to have either insight in the moment or a bit of foresight and then be able to verbalize in front of everyone the direction we ought to go, and everyone gets mobilized and goes. Um, when I originally did this series, there's another gift that's coming in a few weeks called the gift of administrations. Um, and this one's just, it's just different in terms of how it functions. So if you were on a boat back in the day, um, and was going this direction, how do you get it with like all the sailors on board to start going this direction? There's two key roles that you need. Yeah, so you need someone at the wheel, at the helm, saying we should go that way. But how do you actually get the boat going in that way? Sails, and is there any other part of the boat that's important? That's right. 
I'll give it away. The administration's role actually is related to the rudder, sitting at the back and seeing where everyone should be and pushing it. The gift of leading is the person who stands up at the front and says, we should go that way. They're the captain of the ship, as it were. And um, there's a great quote by the guy who um, Hudson Taylor handed over China Inland Mission to a guy named D.E. Host. And there was a big debate amongst a bunch of them in China Inland Ministries, like how do you actually determine whether someone's like an actual leader? And um, he was quiet to the end and they eventually looked his way and he said, well, I guess if they're a leader, people will follow. That's what this is. It's someone who has that supernatural, divine, added measure of grace to see the direction we ought to head and to be able to stand before and say, we should go that way, and others see it and get in line and go. So uh, in the Old Testament, yes, this is before they'd have a spiritual gift per se, but you've got a guy like Nehemiah. He shows up in Jerusalem. The walls have not been doing too well for a long time. He takes a look at it and says, here's the plan and everyone jumps on board. And in 52 days, he's able to foresee uh, the attacks and the assaults and basically mobilize everyone that 52 days to rebuild the walls for a bunch of slave, old former slaves? That's a work of God, but who did he use? Clearly someone who's a leader. In the New Testament, we talked about one this morning. I don't know what James is, but clearly he had some leading role in the church in Jerusalem. He's not ever really listed amongst the apostles. He's not one of the elders. There's always get James and the elders. But you'll notice in the Jerusalem council, they've all gone back and forth, and James speaks up and says, um, I was reading Amos chapter 9. Doesn't that kind of fit here? And everyone's like, huh, yeah. Letter goes out. Someone with a supernatural ability to have the insight and the foresight to stand before the people of God and say, I think this is the direction we ought to go. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, let's go. Um, I saw it, again, you'll see this amongst, I see it probably more amongst brothers, um, but you'll notice it amongst sisters as well. Perhaps the best example I saw was back when we were in Winnipeg, before coming to Portage in 2015, just at the time where Nicola and I were first dating, courting, intrigued, we'll say. Um, the church that I was at in Winnipeg, there was a decent group of like college and careers, but um, the formal college and career thing was just floundering. It would be like every like fourth week there might be something and people weren't sure whether it was Friday or Saturday and there'd be like seven people who'd show up periodically. And then one brother, um, yeah, good young brother, um, said, I'll take it when basically no one else wanted to touch the thing. And uh, he uh, came up with the brilliant plan. Remember, these are young adults. Here's what we're gonna do. All the fun activities are out the window. Um, we're going to just invite ourselves over to different saints' house every second week, and we're going to task two young guys to lead an hour-plus Bible study. And your responsibility, if we invite ourselves over to your place, is feed us all, you can enjoy the study, and then, well, we'll figure out dessert. How many of you think that's a, like a success plan? Get a bunch of young guys who aren't really keen on sharing stuff and say you're going to lead an hour-plus Bible study every second week. Within a year, the thing blew up to about 50 to 60 people. Everyone's like, yeah, that's exactly what we should do. Boom. And for about five to seven years, the most fruitful ministry there that was most visible, every midweek prayer meeting, there was might be like 40 saints scattered and then 50 young people in the front few rows over here. I don't glorify him. I glorify the God that gave him that gift that he was able to just stand before a bunch of young adults and say, we're going in this direction. Everyone's like, 
Makes sense to us, let's do it. That can be what this gift can look like. So I just want to exhort and um, maybe, yeah, encourage us that this is a needful gift. And you'll notice that the gift of leading is to be done with diligence, or quite literally the Greek word, this one's easy, spude, speed. As in like, with each one of the gifts, we didn't really talk about it tonight, but there's always a risk with it. There's always a tendency. So people who um, teach, well, I've been teaching like week after week after week, like can't I get a break here? Well, no, he who teaches, teach. And in this case, he who leads, do it with diligence, with intensity, that when it's shown to actually get in there and do it with speed. Um, Because there's a tendency after you've been in that role a little bit um, to kind of get slack, per se. Um, And it's also a gift. I mean, James 3 says, don't all of you be teachers. There's stiffer judgment. Um, This is another one. All gifts must be operated in the spirit. Um, If you are teaching and you're in the flesh, you'll be like Peter chopping off ears rather than rightly dividing. And um, this is another one where there's a need to be in the spirit. It's not that someone who has the gift of leading is always right. And they need to be in tune with the spirit. Because if they're saying we should go in this direction and they've been right multiple times in the past, and if they're doing it in the flesh, there'll be danger. And so like every spiritual gift, it must be operated in the spirit, led by the spirit. We must be filled with the spirit. But it's another leading one. And... um, if you want just a, a little hint on who, uh, how this might operate, um, in my limited experience, it's not often the people who have formal roles that have this gift. Um, oftentimes these are just the people, when the room goes silent and no one knows what to do, take a look at where the heads are looking and you, uh, you might notice who this gifted individual or some of these gifted people might be. I hand it back to you, Aaron, to close up. Awesome. I think it'd be a good idea to read through this passage in its entirety one more time with uh, out extra commentary and uh, teaching. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. As God has dealt to each one a measure of faith, For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches, in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who sows mercy, shows mercy with cheerfulness. Father, I I just want to say thank you for what we've gone through and listened to tonight. Uh, I pray that 
everybody in this room, everybody without an exception, um, they, would, they would be pricked in their hearts to see and have their eyes and their understanding opened, that they would feel the conviction of you, Father, of your spirit, uh, to just desire to walk out in the body in the direction with the gifts that you have given them to walk through and to use them. And ultimately, Father, that we would begin to see more love for one another and see more of the unity in the spirit and more of the bond of peace because we are striving to be more uh, healthy and functioning in the way that you have set us up to function with what you have implanted in us. Please. Amen.